Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Farfetched Fables. Welcome to show number forty nine. This is our final week of celebrating Women in History Month, so we thought we'd close it out in a super fashion. That's super as in superhero or supervillain. It's often the case that in the world of supers, an oft-overlooked protagonist is the female heroine or villain. Sure, we all know Wonder Woman as the token superheroine, and perhaps we've even come to know Poison Ivy as the archetypical female supervillain, but let's face it, Women do not dominate the super-genre. So this week's episode we celebrate not only women, but super-women. So let's open with Dark Beautiful Force by Jessica May Lynn. Jessica is a student at the University of California, Berkeley, where she lives with a giant stuffed sushi and spends absurd hours of the night writing. She also pole dances, the acrobatic variety. Jessica graduated from the Odyssey Writing Workshop in 2012, and her fiction will also appear in Nature. More details can be found at jessicamaylin.com. Reading Dark Beautiful Force is Cynthia Colby. Ms. Colby is a Canadian voice artist, whose career began by winning an international public speaking contest while she was still in high school. She then spent 15 years as a radio news announcer, reaching a national venue, Her voice was so flexible that she began doing commercials at the radio stations and her ability for doing character voices was recognised. Now, as a freelance voice artist and scriptwriter, she lends her voice to numerous short stories, books, game characters, training programmes, videos, commercials and accessible websites. She can be reached by following the link on the Triple F. Now, grab yourself a bag of donut holes and listen to Dark Beautiful Force by Jessica May Lynn. I met you the summer I was 19. You were a shadow on the wall, 
tall and intimidating in a way I could never be. And you were all that stood between my first supervillain and me. You grinned and leapt down in your black domino mask and high-top sneakers before I even stepped past the mouth of the alley. I hated you because you knocked the villain out before I could and smirked at me over the popped collar of your leather jacket as you handcuffed him. They printed our pictures in the newspaper side by side, you in your leather and your sneakers, me in my thigh-high boots and red latex skirt, the new superstars on the block. But I was jealous and told our mentors that your superhero name made me think of candy bars, your costume of freeze-dried bats. We kept running into each other. The roof of the Atlanta Emerald, the alley behind that one glittering nightclub where every supervillain seemed to bury their victims. The McDonald's on Peachtree Street, where we wolfed down Big Macs on opposite sides of the restaurant, each pretending the other didn't exist. I remember the one time we cornered Magnetic Man in the women's bathroom of the abandoned Pullman train yard. I was bitter you found him first, because it was a woman's bathroom, even though no one had used it in fifty years. You put him in a chokehold, but at the last second you backed away, so I could take the credit for knocking him out for once. Only I didn't want your pity, and I walked away. Eventually you followed me to my hideout, asked me to hunt villains with you, as friends. I threatened to castrate you and chased you back out while you laughed. What I didn't tell you was that something about your buoyant confidence, your sincerity, made me smile when I thought you weren't looking. When I broke my leg on the roof of the Atlantic, you let Neophelis go to help me up. I called you stupid for letting the villain escape, but you slung my arm around your shoulders anyway and helped me scale the remaining forty-six stories back to the ground. Our mentors took my costume away for the next month while I healed. I spent those days in bed, rereading the newspaper and turning it sideways to examine the photos of you and me on the rooftops. Sometimes at night when I grew sick of flipping channels and doing curl-ups with an encyclopedia, I swept the curtains back and looked out of the window for you, hoping you were still saving the world. I'll never forget the rainy Sunday afternoon when you caught up to me and insisted on buying me a cup of coffee. I was well enough to hunt again, and we talked long into the night about life and supervillains and how our mentor's nose looked like an eggplant. I let you into my life. We spent the rest of that summer hunting villains together. Warm August nights, stomach down in the subway rafters, throwing donut holes into each other's mouths as we waited for our targets to creep out of abandoned tunnels. There was something infectious about you that made me believe we were invincible. By the time we were twenty-five, we were touring the world making headlines on the big comics, playing stunt doubles for our own characters on the silver screen, living the way I'd always dreamed of. I felt your child grow inside me. You wrote bad poetry to him and built a crib with your bare hands. You joked about how you could wring a supervillain's neck, but you couldn't hammer a nail into wood without smacking your thumb. 
At night you held me in your arms. We ate potato chips in bed and laughed about the summer we spent as rivals, and then best friends. A month before you became a father, we met the red-masked supervillain. You tried to kill him, but he was faster than you, and he sank that fatal blow into my belly. I lost the child before he was even born. The doctor told me that I could never run the way I used to, or leap over walls with that quicksilver agility I'd treasured so deeply, that my body had taken too much to ever heal again. I stumbled out of the ER, numb, silent when our mentors awarded me a medal for my bravery, silent when Atlanta awarded me a medal for the services I'd done. Secretly I tore up the articles in newspapers across the globe that announced my early retirement. You noticed that I stopped responding when you kissed me, stayed expressionless when you folded me in your embrace. I had shut myself into my own prison, where I wasted away between blank walls. When you finally convinced me to leave my bedroom, I wore a dirty t-shirt and sweats, and huddled in the corner while you continued to save the world. You would laugh as you snapped handcuffs around the wrists of your five-hundredth villain, but when you saw my face, you fell silent. I know that I broke your heart that you missed me and wanted to help, even though you didn't know how. That's when he took you, too. I hadn't smiled at you in years or told you that I loved you. Something inside me broke. I didn't care what the doctors said, what our mentors said. I didn't care that every inch of my body ached with searing, blinding pain when I dragged myself up the frame of the Atlantic, the skyscraper where I first realized I loved you. I burned down the prison I made for myself and burst from the ashes, alive and brimming with fire. I hunted him to the ends of the earth. I was determined to cut his heart out of his chest the same way he'd done to me when he killed you. The dark, beautiful life force that had lain paralyzed inside me for all these years reignited so I could avenge you. Eventually I found him, even though he was faster than both of us, in the same alley I first met you. Panting, my dark hair flying around my face, I drove my knife into the bottom of his heart. His mouth dropped open in surprise as he sank to his knees. Even he hadn't expected me to be so strong. That I could recover after all those years of being buried six feet deep in my own helplessness. His blood poured onto my hands and I tore his mask off. Only to discover that he was you. You breathed my name and smiled. Told me that you'd killed the real supervillain long ago before taking his mask and his name. And I remembered that summer we were nineteen, when you chased me through the streets at twilight. You had worn the same triumphant smile, your amber eyes flashing with mischief. Why? I asked you as the tears rolled down my cheeks. Why did you do it? And you told me that you wanted to see me act brave and beautiful again. 
just one more time. You wanted to see me alive, even if you had to die. As you closed your eyes and laid your head against my shoulder, I held you and wept. Now it's just me. But on warm August nights, as I lie in the rafters eating donut holes alone, I think about you. I found this one to be a haunting look into the more human side of the life and loves between supers. It's not often that the romantic side of superhero relationships is explored in fiction. Sure, we all know about the on-again, off-again relationship between Superman and Lois Lane, but how often do we get to peek into the sometimes darker side of super-super relationships? Anyhow, it's time now to take a look at the other side of the superhero coin, with Christy Cherish's Canadian Blood Diamonds. Here we get a glimpse into a not-so-typical supervillain with a bit of an identity crisis. Christy Cherish is the author of Owl and the Japanese Circus, from Simon & Schuster, Canada Pocketbooks, an urban fantasy about a modern-day Indiana Jane who reluctantly navigates the hidden supernatural world. She writes what she loves, adventure-heavy stories featuring strong, savvy female protagonists, pop culture, and the occasional RPG fantasy game thrown into the mix. The second instalment, Owl and the City of Angels, is scheduled for release in January 2016. Her second urban fantasy series, Kincaid Strange, from Random House Canada, about a voodoo practitioner living in Seattle, is scheduled for release mid-2016. Christie is also a scientist, with a BSc and MSc in molecular biology and biochemistry from Simon Fraser University, and a PhD in zoology from the University of British Columbia. Her specialities are genetics, cell biology and molecular biology, all of which she draws upon in her writing. She is represented by Carolyn Ford at Westwood Creative Artists. Reading Canadian Blood Diamonds is the eminent Nicole Doolin. In addition to narrating, Nicole writes fiction, poetry and plays. Nicole is also a voice actor who has performed for various media. She produces a podcast called Audio Literature Odyssey, in which she narrates classic literature by the likes of Austen, Poe, James and more. Nicole is very well known to us here at the District of Wonders, and we appreciate everything she does for us. Time to find a spot close to the fire, never mind that head up on the wall, and give a listen to Canadian Blood Diamonds by Christy Cherish. Have you ever wanted to kill your minions? No, seriously. Have you ever had the urge to grab them by the neck and inject some really nasty nanobot that will eat them from the inside out? Because that's about where I was last night at 3 a.m., standing outside my generator shed in worn pink bunny slippers, up to my ankles in freezing snow. I sipped my coffee and took in the two-shot rotator belts covered in icicles on the nuclear generator I bought last week for over a million dollars. Fuck me, I said. It was so damn cold I half expected my breath to form icicles. So let me get this straight. The heat's off, the lights are out, and my diamond mind is offline. All because you two morons cheaped out on insulator? 
I rubbed my forehead with the sleeve of my pink bunny bathrobe. Tweedledum and Tweedledee shuffled their feet before Tweedledum spoke up. Well, boss, when you say it like that... I held up my hand. Yes or no? Flustered, Tweedledee said. Package says it's good through minus twenty, boss. Wind, chill, factor, I said, emphasizing every single syllable. I tapped a bunny-slippered foot and stared up at the clear night sky. Well, at least the nuclear core didn't break this time. That counted for something. And the Aurora Borealis was still working. I headed back inside to order yet another generator belt. What do you want us to do, boss? One of the Tweedles yelled after me. Freeze to death for starters. I mumbled under my breath, then yelled, What do you think I want you to do? Clean it up! I slammed the heavy chalet-style door behind me. This morning was getting off to a really fucking spectacular start. Served me right, though. Of all the diamond mines in the world, why the hell had I picked one in Yukon? Why not a nice Aztec Mexican fortress? Could have done the world a favor and knocked off a few Mexican mob bosses in the process. Hmm. I took another sip and mulled it over. As soon as my laptop powered up, I headed to the supervillain emporium. I had just pressed submit order when a message from Cyberpunk, my accountant and financial planner, flashed across the screen. Urgent was highlighted in the subject line. I sighed and opened it. Kelly, call me. Now. I groaned, picked up my laptop, and headed to my room. You know things are bad when the accountant of supervillains and superheroes everywhere schedules an emergency conference call. Apparently there's no sleep for the wicked, or supervillainesses tonight. Cyberpunk slid into a swivel chair on my screen. He pushed a pair of yellow-tinted lenses up his face and scratched his head. He'd been trying the geek-chic look out lately. It worked for him. Kelly, what the hell did you just try to buy? A new generator band. I've got repairs to make. And I'm freezing my ass off in soggy bunny slippers. I'm also seriously behind on my laser satellite launch. And those small European countries aren't going to ransom themselves. Why? He pushed the lenses further up and frowned. Supervillains wear bunny slippers? I pulled my bunny slipper-clad foot into view of the screen. Huh, learn something new every day. Cyber fidgeted in his chair. Kelly, I'm just gonna come out and say it. You're broke. I choked on my coffee, spitting most of it out over my comforter. Shit! I tried mopping it up, but it was a lost cause. Great, another expense. I lowered my voice. You never know when your minions are listening in the background. What do you mean I'm broke? I just gave you thirty million dollars worth of diamonds to launder. Cyber shook his head. Kelly, no one wants Canadian diamonds anymore. Everyone wants to buy diamonds from liberated blood diamond workers. Canadian diamonds just aren't sexy enough. The Canuck Crusader really screwed you guys this time. I closed my eyes and counted to ten. If it hadn't been for the Canuck Crusader heading to Africa, of all places, I'd be flush with cash. Not even the goddamn American superheroes bothered with Africa. Why the hell the Canuck Crusader felt the need to clean up the rest of the world's garbage? My diamond mine funds all my other projects. Satellite death laser, my own nuclear reactor, 
trying to get an arms race going between Quebec and the rest of Canada. Only in Canada could I be sitting on a diamond mine and be broke, I muttered. Wait a minute. Cyber one sack. I minimized his screen before he could say no and pulled up Google. I don't care what anyone says, Google is a supervillain's best friend. Well, that and Dan Savage. We need all the relationship help we can get. Supervillains differ from superheroes in many critical ways. But the biggest is that we're not dumb enough to give out names. Not even one little itsy-bitsy supervillain name. It's all about outsourcing. Let the media and fans do it for you. For example, my supervillain exploits are attributed to no less than four villains. The Lynx, I kind of like that one. The Minx, the Raven, and the Northern Cougar. Not so happy about that last one. But I'm not about to pipe up and start yelling. Hey, over here. All those crimes? I did them. One big supervillain. And I want you to call me the Lynx. Besides, it's a hell of a lot easier to evade superheroes when they're looking for four different villainesses. In less time than it took to type in, I heart Canuck Crusader, I had ten of his fan pages in front of me. Through their diligent reporting that borders on serious sociopathic stalking, all ten fan freaks are positive the Crusader is still stalking the unjust. Hmm. I always thought it was unjust. On the plains of Africa, righting wrongs, saving giant cats, freeing blood-diamond workers, and fucking up my business model. Well, that last one wasn't there exactly, but the point is that courtesy of his super-stalkers, I was 99.9% .9 sure the Canuck Crusader was still fucking around in Africa. And if you're wondering, yes, I do have a fan that keeps a web tab on me. Her name is Fiona, and she's a physics grad student in Montreal. It's a very respectful supervillain fan relationship. I send her the odd tidbit, and she doesn't pry. Healthy. Normal. You ever see a superhero fan? Psychos. All of them. Holy shit, this was going to work. I pulled Cyber's she-geek face back up. Can you meet me here at noon? I fired off the coordinates for the local pub. I've got an idea. Make it three. I've got an emergency meeting with another client. Media lawsuit. I laughed. Let me guess. The Bayou Gator didn't want everyone to know he was moonlighting as a New Orleans drag queen named Caramel. Cyber groaned. Sometimes I really hate working for superheroes. I snickered. I'll tell you right now, supervillains are light years ahead in handling bad media. It's called dropping, snooping reporters and fans in an ice flow. I locked up the laptop and headed down to my lair to put something together before my meeting. This might be one of my best schemes ever. I didn't bother doing my hair or putting on makeup. I'm not that kind of supervillain. I pass for more of a hippie chick than a supervillainess. Damn good thing I'm in Canada. I'd never cut it across the border. The standards are different. A hell of a lot of surgery and waste of money, if you ask me. Plus, I wouldn't be caught dead in those heels. Tweedledum and Tweedledee were still messing around with the generator when I stepped outside a little before three and had the pleasure of feeling my nose hairs freeze. Boss? One of the Tweedles yelled. I'm heading to Mike's. They have heat. This time of year, the road from my place to town consists of a beaten path of dirty snow, and the town consists of Mike's pub. It's rustic, which is redneck for we mount animal heads on the wall.
and this late into winter it also doubles as a grocery store, so it's a nice excuse to meander in every few days for a beer. Mike, I said as I walked through the worn catch-spring doors. Mike Capshaw was the owner and bartender at Mike's, and I put him at a spry sixty or so. Heat out again, Kelly? he asked. I nodded and he shook his head. That's gotta be what, the third time now? Fourth. Normally I sit under the lynx head, but I headed right for the fireplace. It's under the cougar head, but damn it, I'm cold. Mike put a beer in front of me. No coaster. Classy. Just suck it up and get hydro. Less mess than those generators you got up there. Yeah, right, get a power meter. Let the government know exactly how much power I'm pulling. Best idea I've heard all day. Thanks for the advice, Mike. I stretched in front of the fireplace and peeled off my gloves. I thought I could see the color returning to my fingers. Anytime you need help up there, you just let me know. He winked before heading back behind the bar across the room. Now I'll let you in on a little secret. I did my research before heading to this town. Mostly I was using every little dirty trick in my book to steal a diamond mine, but I also seriously investigated the locals. You never know when you'll accidentally trip over a rock and uncover a superhero. We tend to like the same middle of nowheres. I found nothing too exciting. Domestic violence, a few murderers, two guys who take some really weird vacations to Southeast Asia. Mike came up clean as a whistle. My money's on him being the North Wind, the first real Canadian villain, the only one I'd call super. Rumor has it he retired right around the time of the tech revolution. If it's him, he wrote the book on supervillainy. Screw the Vegas witch and the Californian lich. They only wrote their how-to books to pass time in jail. The North Winds got them all beat. He never got caught. If it's him. One thing's for certain, he's somebody. Nobody insulates their basement with lead if they've got nothing to hide. I'd never ask, though. Some things just aren't done in polite super society. Provided he leaves my lead-coated basement alone, I'll leave his lead-coated basement alone. They were scuffling outside. The doors creaked open a crack, before slamming back and hitting the person outside. Oh! came a muffled voice. The doors creaked open again, and Cyber's skinny frame spilled through. He stamped the snow off his feet. It is fucking cold up here, he said. Yeah, funny that. Yukon is cold. Now, I don't know how the hell Cyber does it. But given five minutes' notice, he can meet you anywhere in the world. I know. I've tested it. I heard a rumor years back that he can turn into light particles and travel through fiber-optic cables. Friend of yours, Kelly? Mike asked good-naturedly from the bar. Financial planner and accountant. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. He's really good, I added. Fucking expensive, but it doesn't pay to cheap out when laundering money. Cyber looked over his glasses. Yeah, if you ever need any financial advice, he said to Mike. I'm always taking on new clients. I glared at Cyber as he joined me. Son of a bitch had probably found the lead-coated basement, too. Not above a little desperation, are we? He shrugged and placed a sound disruptor on the table. It was disguised as a phone and was guaranteed to make any camera, microphone, and satellite image unusable. Hell, it even blurs sound for the human ear. Yeah, well, sue me for trying to recoup upcoming and imminent voids in income, he said and sat back. Kelly, I can't sell your diamonds right now. The market is flooded. You're screwed. You can barely cover your new generator belt or... He patted a package under his jacket. Your special order. The only thing hotter than cleaned-up blood diamonds is actual blood diamonds. So, unless you have a hotline on the real deal... He shrugged. My advice? Take a vacation, shelve your death ray, and wait till this blows over. I took out the samples I'd been tinkering with and scattered them across the table. Just take a look, I said. He grumbled but pulled off his glasses and held the biggest diamond up to his eye. His pupil switched out and the high-powered lens flicked in. I cringed. I can't help it. I draw my line in the sand way before cybernetic implants. I waited while he checked three more diamonds. Well, I said. Whoa, where the hell did you get unlicensed blood diamonds? I smiled. They aren't. They're plain old Canadian diamonds. I dirtied up their geological signal with a laser so they look like pretty, sexy, unsanctioned blood diamonds. Can you sell them? Cyber let out a low whistle. Yeah, but Kelly, I was kidding. These hit the market from over here. Shit is going to hit the fan. All new diamonds are tracked. They're gonna want to know where the hell these came from. So, make it up. Tell them they're from a diamond mine in some really obscure mountain, preferably one with a few terrorists crawling around it. Cyber gave me a hard stare, or the closest thing he could muster. Do you know what the Canuck Crusader did to the last set of smugglers he found? Yeah, in Africa. The look on his face was priceless as he caught on. Damn, I'm good. These hit the market, I get cash, and the Canuck Crusader stays in Africa hunting a master supervillain who doesn't exist. By the time he figures it out, I'll have my laser satellite launched and happily be holding Europe ransom. Cyber let out a low whistle. I already know three buyers. How many more can you produce? Let me worry about that. Just keep a moving.
Cyber put his disruptor in the diamonds away and stood. As far as I'm concerned, you're back in the black. He pulled out my special order and set it on the table. By the way, what is this? Oh, something I saw in a vampire movie. You know me. Boots, a leather jacket, and a laser bow. How can I say no? It's a prototype I'm trying out. He pulled his hand away quickly. The word prototype will do that, and glanced up at the cougar's head above the fireplace. I don't care what anyone else says, Kelly. The lynx, the minx, and the raven don't have anything on you. I gritted my teeth and smiled, but I swear I was this close to ripping the damn cougar head down and tossing it into the fireplace. Why does everyone always think I'm the northern cougar? I went and paid Mike for my beer. Time to go see how Tweedledum and Dee were doing on fixing my nuclear generator. All right, before you judge, hear me out. It was an accident. Besides, I said prototype. They were supposed to be professional minions. Well, at least my laser arrow worked. That counts for something, doesn't it? I pushed a torso out of my system's chair. Tweedledums, I think, though it was always hard to tell the two apart. More so now that they're reduced to body parts. Jeez, there was a lot of blood. I would have thought the laser would cauterize more. I pulled up the net on my blood-splattered screen and fired off an encrypted email to Fiona at my fan site. She paid the bills with a classified page for supervillains. Don't knock it until you try it. The dating section makes for a fun read on a Friday night. I typed, Wanted. Two assistants for high-profile supervillainess. Must perform odd tasks upon request. As an afterthought, I added, Preference given to applicants with university education in physics or computer science. Also will accept biology applicants, particularly pathogen specialties. Must be able to perform heavy lifting. Robotics acceptable. Five minutes later, there was a response in my inbox. An email from my biggest fan, Fiona, with two attached resumes. Hers and her twin brother, Fjord's. No cover letters. Astrophysics, robotics. Damn. And her brother's was just as good. No, better. Not only did he have a background in virology, he was on the swim team. They'd both included photos, and man, oh man, I hadn't seen abs like that, and well, the brother was ripped. What was I thinking? I can't hire my fans. That would be... just... Four little words at the bottom of the email made my finger pause over the delete button. Come with postdoctoral funding. What was I supposed to do? Yeah, they were fans, but hell, the government was willing to foot the bill. I arranged for transport and sent two tickets. Less than a week later, I was back at Mike's pub reading plans Fiona had cooked up to get us into the power industry. I was in assistant heaven. Fiona was spearheading four separate website campaigns dedicated to my alter egos. It was so organized. That Fjord often walked around the house without his shirt on didn't hurt, though Fiona hinted that he batted for the other team. The point is, life was good. My badass diamond-in-disguise scheme was raking in millions. For the first time in my life, I had assistance of above-average competence. The North Wind's mantra was paying off. Don't do anything stupid. There I was, minding my own business under the lynx head, when a shadow moved over Fiona's plans. The voice was masculine with just enough gruffness to make it attractive without going into meathead land. Can I buy you a drink? I didn't even look up. 
Fuck off. Now that might seem harsh, but keep in mind this is a redneck bar in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. Fuck off is a completely acceptable response from a young lady. Besides, the math in Fiona's plans was killing me. Shit, I was going to have to ask my assistant to explain three of these equations. How lame is that? But then someone else cleared his throat. Deeper, more gruff, and older. Shit, Mike. Reluctantly, I looked up. There was no way I was getting any reading done with both of them blocking my light. Standing beside Mike was a tall and surprisingly good-looking guy. Hey, Kelly, wanted to introduce my son, Mike said, his mouth set in an embarrassed line. Good-looking extended his hand. Hey, Alex Capshaw, pleasure to meet you. And with that, he sat down, without asking. I forced myself to smile and put aside Fiona's awesome laser plans. No sense alienating Mike's good-looking offspring. Alex rivaled Fiona's brother in the looks department. He was a good foot taller than me, had really great blondish hair, and an awesome set of teeth. Okay, Fiona's laser plans could wait till later. Besides, Alex might be the North Wind's son, and Fiona was busy testing a new robotic arm. Hi, I said, extending my hand and flashing my best girl-next-door grin. Pleasure's mine. Mike never mentioned he had a son. Keep in mind I'm only a seven most days. Maybe an eight if I really put myself out there. Mike cleared his throat again. Alex here is back visiting from a university field trip. And helping out with the bar, Alex added. Mike looked back at the bar as if something might have crashed or broken. I'll leave you two to chat, he said and escaped. So, listen, Alex leaned across the table and lowered his voice. I know who you are. I sat up straight. Not that it was surprising, especially if Mike had been talking about me. But supervillains don't just come out and say it. It's rude. I was this close to getting up and leaving when he grabbed my hand. I have to admit I'm a huge fan of your work. His eyes took on a serious glaze. I'm in the same business. The last thing I want is to jeopardize your identity. Is there anywhere more private we could go to talk? My God, not only did Mike Capshaw, still my best suspect for the retired North Wind, have a son, but he was cute and a supervillain. Damn, who was he? Hmm, Cannonball, Wolverine's Revenge, not Sasquatch. Too pretty. Have I mentioned how hard it is for supervillains to get a date? We're a cagey, paranoid bunch at best. And he was still smiling at me, with those perfect teeth. I started wondering what kind of abs were under that plaid lumberjack shirt. I know just the place, I said. Well, whoever Alex Capshaw was, he was going to make Fiona's blog tomorrow morning. My alarm was ringing and ringing. I sat up in bed and picked up my phone. Fiona's face flashed on screen above a text message. You need to get down here and see this now. I looked over to where Alex still slept. I admit I'd had a great time the last few days. Alex was more of a gentleman than I usually went for, but hey, I'd heard that was fashionable. The nice guy who's really deep, dark, brooding. We were still playing footsies with the supervillain identity, but that was normal. No one reveals his or her identity till the fourth date, or at least that's what Savage Love said in his superhero supervillain episode. Fiona again. Now, Kelly, like five minutes ago, get your ass out of bed and get down to the lair. A third message chimed in. It was cyberpunk. 
Kelly, you need to hold off on Project European Vacation. We'll explain in one hour at your place. Repeat, do not send any more European Vacation funds. Two exclamation points. Shit, this had to be serious. I threw off the covers and hopped out of bed. Alex rolled over and looked at me sleepily. Just making coffee, I said, adding cheer into my voice I really wasn't feeling. I closed the door, flipped the coffee maker on, and headed to my control room one floor down and hidden behind my fireplace. I know how original is that, but think, what spot hasn't been used? Bridge, secret trapdoor, bookshelf, you name it, it's been done. At least the fireplace is classy. I dashed down the steps in bare feet. Fiona and Fjord were in a panic at the bottom of the stairs. Huge relief spread across Fiona's face. Oh, I was starting to worry. She ran to the control screen and pulled up a Google tab. I pursed my lips at the Canuck Crusader's fan page headline. Shit! The Canuck Crusader was back in North America to hunt down the Northern Cougar, alleged to be responsible for an influx of blood diamonds onto the world market. Fiona read my face. It gets worse. Much worse. She pulled up a series of hacked satellite images focused on my diamond mine. Heat readings, geological overlays. Shit! Fiona, please tell me those are our satellite images. But I already knew the answer before she shook her head. Someone's watching us. I just finished breaking the encryption. Kelly, they've got everything. Damn it! I had to go and warn Alex and Mike. If the Canuck Crusader was in town, maybe we could form a supervillain coalition or something. I wasn't big on coalitions. Every time a group of us got together, it seemed like everyone either got their coolest toys broken and or thrown in jail after some spandex-clad superhero spent a few hours beating the shit out of everybody. But hell, I was out of options. Kelly, wait, please! Fiona yelled up the stairs after me. No time, I've got to warn Mike and Alex. She yelled something else, but I was already out the secret fireplace. I ran upstairs and checked my bedroom. The bed was made and Alex was gone. Damn it. I bolted back downstairs to find the coffee and one of my travel mugs gone. A note with very neat handwriting lay on my kitchen island. Headed home. Come by later. We need to talk. Well, that was just great. Either I was about to be dumped or get shit for bringing the Canuck Crusader raining his righteousness down on our buttfuck nowhere town. Why the hell couldn't Alex just use text messaging like everyone else? I threw on my coat and dashed through the snow. I slipped twice and was soaked by the time I burst through the pub door. Mike and Alex stood by the fireplace, both staring quizzically at my feet. Shit, I was still wearing my pink bunny slippers. What can I say? Not all villainesses make fantastic entrances. I've got something really important I need to tell you guys. Mike held up his hand. I think we're past having to reveal our identities. We know who you are, and I'm betting you know who we are. So let's cut to the chase. I stopped talking and nodded. Man, when the North Wind spoke, he knew how to command the room. Mike cleared his throat. I would have said something sooner, but I'm retired, and Alex here is the hotshot now. The bar phone rang. Give me one second, that's my contact, Alex said, and headed off to answer. My phone started playing the red alert alarm from Star Trek. I swore and glanced at Fiona's message. Instead of her picture, the screen was flashing a picture of Alex's passport with a visa. For Africa. I fumbled the phone and swore. Zahari dropped my phone. Ran over here. Emergency, be right back. I ducked around the coat rack. Fiona, what the hell? 
I've been trying to tell you Alex is the Canuck Crusader. I didn't say anything. My God, I just slept with a superhero. Kelly, are you okay? Fiona said. I just slept with a superhero named the Canuck Crusader. Does that sound okay to you? I was never going to live this down. Fiona, do we know if Dan Savage takes personal calls? Fjord, bless his sweet Calvin Klein model heart, piped up over the line. I heard this happens to the best supervillains, more often than you would think. Listen, they're coming. I'll call you back in a minute. I hung up. Shit. If Alex was the Canuck Crusader, there was only one person on the face of this planet Mike could be. The biggest, baddest superhero to ever wander Western Canada. I'm so fucked. I ducked back into the main room. It was time to see just how much damage a phone could do to a skull. Damn, why did the nice guys like Alex have to be so messed up? And why the hell didn't I take the pocket explosives Fjord had left on the hall stand for me? We called you because someone is smuggling blood diamonds through the north, Alex said. It's the northern cougar, just like I suspected. And the blood diamonds are from your mine. God damn it, I readied my cell phone. Why the hell hadn't I paid more attention to that TV show where they turn phones into tasers? And we need your help pulling her in. Huh? The expression on my face must have said everything. Mike harumphed. Come on, Kelly, we agreed. No more games. Alex here is the Canuck Crusader himself. I'm the retired Hudson Hawk. And we know you have to be the Ice Falcon. Really, Kelly, it's nothing to be ashamed of. You're our top female superhero. You're setting the example. Alex added, The cougar has been intercepting diamonds from your mine and passing them off as illegal blood diamonds. She's been trying to frame you. There was a knock at the door. Mike went to get it and came back slightly perturbed. Kelly, it's for you. I went outside. Cyber was chattering in a bathrobe, holding a cup of coffee and carrying a parcel under his arm. Kelly, I stopped by your place first. Fiona and Fior told me to give you this. It's about Alex. I know, I know, I whispered. He's the Canuck Crusader. I am handling it. I took the parcel. It was a rocket launcher disguised as a ski pole. It brought tears to my eyes. My minions so needed a raise. Listen, Cyber, those two think I'm the Ice Falcon. Coffee shot out of his mouth, spraying the white snow a dirty brown. What? I frowned. Hey, it's possible. Cyber just stared. What would the real North Wind say? When the world gives you lemons, make really awesome hard lemonade. Besides, even though it was probably going to give me therapy-worthy hang-ups in the future, I had to admit I liked Alex, even if he was a lousy superhero. I need you to do me a favor, I whispered. Go back and tell Fiona and Fior to play along. As far as anyone's concerned, I'm the Ice Falcon. And tell them to hide all my supervillain stuff. Like fast. Especially my satellite. Cyber nodded. Geez, I hope you know what the hell you're doing. So did I. I stood up a little straighter and headed back inside. All right, gentlemen, I said in my best superhero imitation. Time to work together to bring the cougar down. We can use my headquarters. Holy shit, I was going to be a superhero. I palmed a bottle of tequila from the bar when Mike wasn't looking. I was going to need some serious alcohol to pull off lines like that. So, it's been a few weeks now, and I'll bet you're wondering how I'm doing. I think part of me will never get superheroes. Last week, I called in to Dan Savage. Well, I made Fjord do it for me and told him about my dilemma. 
He had some really great advice, suggesting I hang in there and see it through. It's not like I'm marrying the guy, so I pass up a good thing. Alex and I listened to the episode, but I'm pretty sure he didn't catch on. Besides, my laser satellite is still sitting locked in my basement. Then, one night, she showed up. She looked like a supermodel lounging in my favorite chair. Like, really. Beautiful ice-blue eyes peered at me over the top of a National Geographic with a falcon on the cover. She wore a perfectly coordinated ski outfit and two sets of feathers dangled from her ears. Falcon feathers. Poor Fiona and Fjord were out cold and tied up on the floor beside her. She put the magazine down when she saw me. I'm Faraday, she said. The falcon on the magazine, the feathers in her hair, the ice-blue eyes. Those had to be contacts. Let me guess, I said, giving her the once-over. You're the ice falcon. She nodded. So, do you have anything to say for yourself? She said with a swish of her perfectly highlighted hair. I cocked my head to the side. One thing hanging out with Alex and the Hudson Hawk has taught me is that superheroes really like to talk. It's tedious, but I'm slowly breaking Alex of that habit. Yeah. Did your parents name you after a fairy or something? I mean, what kind of dumb name is Faraday? She stood up all five foot nine of her, crossed her arms and stared imperiously. Well, I have something to say to you, too. I'm marching you to the Hudson Hawk's bar and you're going to confess everything to him and the Canuck Crusader. I hopped up on my kitchen counter. What if I like being a superhero? I said, and gave her my best supervillain stare. Trust me, I practice. She laughed. I don't care if you want to be a dancing bear. I'm the real Ice Falcon, and I know who you are. I raised my eyebrow. You're the Northern Cougar, she said and struck a pose. Why the... Hell, did everyone want to call me the Northern Cougar? I mean, is the lynx or the minx really too much to ask? Why is the go-to always cougar? Talk about giving a girl a complex. She tapped her foot. Are we going to do this the easy way or the hard way, cougar? I wasn't going to budge. I like it here, I said, reaching for a knife. She got into a crouching stance, ready to kick my ass. Her perfectly red lips parted probably to say something heroic. I caught the slight movement of my fireplace as the lair opened and my laser bow peeked around the corner. I dropped the knife and dove behind the kitchen island as the laser bow sliced through her. She toppled over and one of the contacts fell out. I knew it. Mike stepped out in the open. You know, I said, I never bought you as the Hudson Hawk. Always had my money on you being the North Wind. He chuckled. Never was one for playing black or white. Prefer to choose sides as it suits me. I've said it once and I'll say it again. The North Wind was a genius. Oh, this so changed my outlook on the universe. Saw her sneaking in. You've been doing a good job, kid. Figured I should help you out. He pushed the ice falcon over with his foot. Besides, she was a stuck-up piece of work. So how the hell do you explain Alex? Mike shrugged. He was always an independent one. Unfortunately, not the brightest apple in the bunch. Got a furnace down there, Kelly? Yeah, but I have a better idea. I pulled the feathers out of her hair. Upstairs closet, there's an old beat-up fur jacket. I went and grabbed some fake nails from my bathroom Halloween box and started filing them into sharp points. Alex isn't coming over for another couple hours. 
Can you get rid of the blood before then? Mike nodded. Got just the thing, he said, and headed back downstairs to my lair. I finished dressing up Faraday as the cougar and roused Fiona and Fjord. The northern cougar just met with a fatal accident, I told them. Oh, but Kelly, it would be so much easier to knock off the minx or the raven, Fiona said. The cougar has the most popular fan site. No, we're getting rid of the cougar, I said, maybe a little too quickly. Fiona pursed her lips but didn't argue. Time to dump the body and get back to the lair and time to hook up with my superhero boyfriend. Did I mention I love being a supervillain? I so identify with supervillains. The freedom to play both sides of the fence and the luxury of eliminating obstacles with prejudice without the moral dilemma of doing the right thing. Imagine if Spider-Man were to dangle J.J. Jameson from the roof of the Daily Bugle and simply let him plummet to his death. I bet Spidey considered that more than once. And while you consider the moral dilemma of your favourite superhero or villain, we'd like you to consider the moral implications of our licensing. Far-Fetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license which means you can download the content and share it around all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And be sure to give credit where credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors. If you like what you hear at Farfetched Fables, please consider fencing a few of your own Canadian blood diamonds and make a donation to the District of Wonders. Buttons are on the website. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website. Take solace that, super or otherwise, we all have the same desire to love and be loved, and that sometimes love means pain and sacrifice. And remember, those small European nations aren't going to ransom themselves. Finally, let's not forget the impact that women have and continue to have in our lives. From Mom to Joan of Arc to Marie Curie and so many others. Not just one month out of the year, every day women have continued to impact and shape our lives. On that slightly feminist note, I'll sign off. Until next time, bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.